Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number one of hopefully many, many more episodes. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I'm sure some of you are wondering who I am and what this podcast is all about, and maybe you're even wondering what Adamantium is. Um, So let's start there. Adamantium uh, is a a brand that I I really just gave myself, and uh, it goes back a number of years to high school. Um, when I went through a bit of a graphic novel stage and uh, I was reading the origin story of Wolverine and that's when I discovered that um, adamantium is the name of the fictitious metal that makes him invincible and adamantium spelled A-D-A-M and not A-T-O-M so like my name and uh, I started using it as usernames and it just kind of went from there and so it seemed seemed I've been using it for years and it seemed fitting to use for the, the podcast um, so who am I I'm uh, well really I'm just a guy from the city uh, but uh, you know I, I, I for one I love this city I think Toronto's the best city on earth and um, and there's so much that happens around this city so many interesting people um, so many things to do and you know over uh, my professional career, even I've, you know, I've I've had my my hand in a lot of different, uh, a lot of different things from production to advertising to managing businesses and uh, to photography and design and uh, you name it. <laughs> so, but I, I'm really passionate about about art and culture, um, music and sport, and so. Uh, you know, with my experiences and my 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 passions. Um, uh, I, I find that I have a lot of interesting conversations with a lot of people and uh, I've done a lot of interview style stuff in the past uh, with, um, you know, I'm a photojournalist for a number of outlets in, in Toronto, magazines and blogs. Um, so I've done a number of music magazine or music interviews over the years and so, um, you know, I thought, I, I really love the podcast format so I thought it was about time to, uh, to start my own thing. So on this podcast... Uh, I mean, we're going to have anyone from, from musicians and actors and athletes uh, to local personalities and, and business owners um, and uh, hopefully some people you recognize and pique your interest and uh, uh, we'll hope you'll, uh, you'll tune in. And it's, been, um, <laughs> it's been a long road here. I've been contemplating, for a, contemplating the podcast for a little while, and then, of course, like any new project, it, it takes some time to get, uh, get things up and running. Um, and uh, speaking, speaking of long and hard road, um, before we get into things, uh, I want to send a special shout-out to my boys at Toronto FC. Uh, I've been a season's ticket holder since season one, so this past weekend uh, was was a big deal for me as it was for many people around Toronto, many fans, uh, sports fans, soccer fans. Um, I've been uh, sorry, I've been playing soccer since I was about four, so this was this was the biggest thing for me. I think my my entire life, the biggest thing I've been able to celebrate um, as a sports fan in Toronto. Uh, and boy, did I celebrate! It was. Uh, when Josie scored that goal, I, I I was on top of someone at some point, and I think I was horizontal, and uh, <laughs> uh, my my seat at BMO Field might need reinforced next year. But uh, anyways, uh, congratulations to the team and uh, to the fans, and uh, 
we're going to bask in it as long as we can. So, yeah. Uh, moving on. Episode number one features uh, our former mayor, David Miller. Uh, and David is a really nice guy, really smart. Um, I, I mostly just tried not to sound like an idiot. <laughs> But he also made my job really easy. He loves to, to he loves this city and he loves to talk about the city and he's extremely passionate about the issues in the city uh, and not just the city, uh, the issues that uh, surround our planet. And uh, David's been, uh, you know, since he left office, he's been a president at the World Wildlife Foundation. And uh, now he's actually transitioning into a new role. He's moving to C40 as a North American regional director and ambassador, um, which he is going to talk to you about in the interview. Um, David also has a great sense of humor. We joke around about uh, um, a few things. Uh, A couple times he was able to get up on stage uh, while he was mayor. Um, He's also a huge Toronto FC fan like myself, so we talk about that. Um, and I have to hand it to David. I Not only was I confident, but I was also extremely nervous about the final. And David was just, just confident. So uh, I have to hand it to him there. And uh, yeah, it was a great interview. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, so without further ado, here's episode number one of the Adamantium podcast. Enjoy. Perfect. Thank you very much. Yeah, so this, uh, I mean, this was a great time too because you're uh, kind of in the middle of a pretty big transition at the moment. Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, you know, World Wildlife Fund's a wonderful organization and uh, I'm very proud of what we've accomplished over the last four years. I think the team in Canada has a really renewed focus on our core mission, which is reversing the decline of wildlife. And we've done some amazing work from helping to create uh, the largest marine sanctuary in the history of Canada to our new report, uh, Living Planet Canada report, which shows how serious the declines in wildlife mm-hmm. are in Canada. Half, uh, About half the species, vertebrate species, are in decline, and those ones are in serious decline. Wow. Average of 83% population decline. To some of the work we're doing to help people build sustainable livelihoods, uh, like with the sustainable fishery, uh, fisheries on the east coast and uh, trying to move to clean energy in the Arctic. So it's it's been really exciting. I'm, I'm proud of what we've accomplished. Uh, but my next opportunity is just so me, I couldn't turn it down. Yeah, so that's with these, you're moving to C40. Yes, yeah, C40 so, Climate Leadership Group, which is a group of originally 40, but now 90 of the world's largest cities, the mega cities, uh, at least 3 million population, working together on climate change. So what's, and that's that's interesting because a lot of people are kind of, um, they don't understand that that's you know the most most of the effects of climate change are coming from big cities, and even individually we can, how 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 as we as Torontonians could we make a difference individually, to try and to help the efforts. Well, it, it is your first point, uh, and, I, and I'll, I will speak to individuals, but your first point is a really important one because. It's in cities we're starting to really see the impact mm-hmm. of climate change, whether it's the flooding or the wildfires and the impact the wildfires have when they get to cities. Right. Uh, and this is true around the world. Different impacts, mm-hmm. but really, really concerning and serious. And at the same time, 
Studies for the C40 by Arup, a uh, worldwide engineering company, show that somewhere between 70 and 75% of the greenhouse gases can be attributed to city-based activities. Mm-hmm. And those are predominantly in how we heat and cool buildings, mm-hmm. transportation, waste management, and how we generate our electricity. Mm-hmm. And the great news is, on all four of those things, there are real actions that cities and people who live in them can take that collectively make a very dramatic impact mm-hmm. on greenhouse gas generation. So cities have the problems, but they right. also have the solutions. Of course. Well, they're the ones that also have the means to try and make a difference too, right? So, Yeah, and, and the means and uh, uh, the interest. Mm-hmm. You know? And people often have said to me, well, why are mayors so keen on climate change? And there's a couple of reasons. First of all, you know, in Toronto's case, for example, the city's having to spend on one program that is designed to deal with the increased severity and frequency of storms. And there's a bunch, but just mm-hmm. one of them. It costs about a billion dollars to <laughs> rebuild infrastructure. Yeah. And that's almost a third of the city's tax base in any given year. Like, yeah. it's huge money. But the second thing is there's a real push from citizens. You mm-hmm. know, urban dwellers understand this issue. They want to see government leadership, so they look to the cities first. And the good news, of course, in building solid waste, transportation, electricity, cities can make a really big difference. Yeah. So so you get this wonderful combination of cities having the ability to make change and people uh, wanting uh, those local governments to, to be responsible environmentally. I think, too, in a year like the year we've had this year with the fires and the amount of hurricanes we've had, when people are seeing the results of these kind of disasters in front of them. It, that, I think that, that sparks something to, to make a change, you know? Oh, and, and I don't think there's any question. I, I was speaking to somebody yesterday whose daughter is in Los Angeles, and she works at the, I think it's called the Wiltshire Hotel, one of the famous, okay. famous hotels. And he said, ash is raining down. On that, you know, legendary hotel in Los yeah. Angeles. I mean, if that's not a sign I mean, that there's something seriously wrong with what we're doing on the planet, I, I mean, I I, I saw photos of hotels in Cuba that were their whole ground level was eight feet in sand. Yeah. You know, and, well, it had to be. Yeah, and um, you know, I think when you know, obviously, when it hits home, when you hear about things at the other end of the world and stuff, it doesn't, you know, you hear about it, but when it strikes closer to home, that makes you really think. Oh. You know, and not, and you know, you should be affected already, but realistically, that's what, you know, seems to happen. And so, I, I th- unfortunately, it's true. I mean, we've, we've been showing photographs for a while of what's mm-hmm. happening in the Arctic from the perspective of the World yeah. Wildlife Fund. But I think on, on this issue through the C40, I'm going to be the, the North American Regional Director, and I'll also be running a program called Inclusive Climate Action mm-hmm. that combines action on climate with social justice and anti-poverty strategies, because they're very connected but on this issue of climate cities are where it's at right now it's mm-hmm. particularly true in the u.s because the american government of course has indicated it intends to pull out of paris mm-hmm. quite fascinating uh, when uh, president trump said that right the, it well. made the u.s one of three countries in the world that weren't going to be part of the paris accord one was nicaragua who refused to sign because it said it was too weak. Mm-hmm. And while Syria didn't sign because it couldn't because it didn't have a government. Right. Syria and Nicaragua have now signed. Really? So yeah, if Trump wonder, goes yeah. through with what he said, the, only. the U.S. will be the only country in the world that isn't a signatory to Paris. So in the U.S., there's this big movement among cities and businesses to say we're still in. Right. 
And, you know, my role is going to be to help the cities that are our members, Mm -hmm. uh, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, Miami, uh, big cities like that. Um, uh, Actually, I don't think Miami is a member, but Houston is, Philadelphia, to help those cities with their strategies, not just to say Mm -hmm. we're still in, but to have meaningful strategies and execute them. Yeah. To dramatically lower greenhouse gases. So what about for a city, say, like you mentioned Houston, um, I mean, for cities like New York City or, or Toronto, where it is a lot easier to get around by public transit, and to be honest, it's almost more of a nuisance to drive, but a place like Houston, that the the, 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 the car commute rates are way higher, so what, what what is something that they, somewhere like Houston or Dallas, or can do to reduce their... Well, it shows, shows the different nature of the challenge in different cities mm-hmm. as well, right? You know, I think your, your question's astute. New York, about 80% of the greenhouse gases emitted come from buildings. How you heat and yeah, cool of course. buildings. Yeah. So they've so done some interesting things issues. over time. Like they, uh, <coughs> Mayor Bloomberg, they made commercial buildings post their energy consumption. Mm-hmm. Okay. All of a sudden, the landlords discovered they better be really energy efficient because their tenants were saying, hey, wait a minute, why am I paying for energy wastage. Mm-hmm. So the sector emissions dropped. The, uh, Mayor uh, de Blasio has expanded on all of this, and he's hit their climate strategy, in, in addition to addressing the sources of emissions, is is acting to help protect the most vulnerable in New York, who were really harmed by Hurricane Sandy. So that link between poverty mm-hmm. and climate is really clear. Houston would be very different. Its emissions proportionately would come much more from transportation. Right. And that, But their building rates, you're right, would be... I mean, the buildings may be efficient or inefficient. It's just right. relatively... Relative to... And so the, the cities that are more urban, like downtown Toronto or New York or Chicago, mm-hmm. building per- percentages, percentages of emissions much higher related to heating and cooling buildings. Cities like Houston, you have to think about how you generate electricity much more. Mm-hmm. And Texas, believe it or not, is actually quite progressive in allowing um, uh, wind and solar to connect to the okay. grid. Austin, Texas has a program. They're, they're putting uh, in the hands of their residents the ability to put about 1,000 houses a year on solar, hmm. which is an extraordinary change, right. I think, over a decade. Yeah. Uh, because Austin controls the utility. Right. It's not private. And they're a very progressive city, so... Their slogan is, keep it weird. Right, yeah. I was there last year. <laughs> oh, okay, well, then you know. Yeah. yeah. You at South by Southwest? I wasn't. I had a friend who moved down there, so I went in uh, April of last year um, just to visit, and it's a very cool place. And I, I'm, a, I'm a music lover. That's, to be honest, most of the podcast is, is music-based music or art not, and culture-based. droning on and on about... No, uh, you know what, though? I, well, topic. a lot of it's Toronto-based, too. Um and I mean, we'll, we'll we'll try and get some time to talk about all art and culture in the city as well. But um, yeah, so, I, so yeah, it's a it's challenge a great, in a place like Houston, for right? sure. And that's why so the C forty exists to help overcome. Those and so, what what challenges. kind of proposals do they have to? Um, well, I've only been there two days, so okay. I can't tell you <laughs> so. Houston chapter and verse. But they'd be looking at the electricity grid. Okay. Um, they would be looking at how do you convert transportation from. Uh, fossil fuel-based cars mm-hmm. to other kinds of transportation, including public transit. Yeah, Houston is uh, building, I believe, some kind of rail-based transit. The problem, challenge for Houston is very spread out. Okay, right. So um, 
but there are things you can do. You know, in Toronto's example, which is a bit more dense, at least mm-hmm. in the core, my wife and I don't own a car. Yeah. You know, we, we take transit, we walk, we ride a bike. Um, if we're going somewhere where we don't have to worry about being killed. Right. Um, uh, and uh, some, if we really need a car, we'll get a zip car. You know, and now that same... You guys don't own a car. Don't own a car, period. Wow. No. And if that, you can't have quite that same solution mm-hmm. in, in Houston, but you can be creative about it. Of course. And the great thing about our network is, you know, we've got 90 cities around the world. Yeah. And different things are being tried in different places, so you can know what works, and then you can do it at scale. Yeah. We have an electric bus program where we've got, I think, 20 cities who have all pledged to go completely electric. Mm-hmm. Uh, by something like 2025, all of their buses. Wow, okay. And, you know, think about Toronto. We have thousands of buses. When I was in office, we moved those buses from diesel to hybrid. Mm-hmm. Huge, actually huge savings in fuel, huge savings in local particulate uh, emissions, and a big saving in greenhouse gas emissions. The next generation now is um, moving from that to purely uh, electric buses. So even in a spread out place like Houston, there are mm-hmm. things you can do. So let's let's bring it back to Toronto. What are some of the biggest things that we have to take control of in Toronto to reduce our... We're doing good energy? work on buildings, and we have been for a decade. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Toronto's greenhouse gases between 2007 and 2012, based on the city's strategy from 2007, it was called Changes in the Air, mm-hmm. passed council unanimously, um, and the closing of uh, the Lakeview coal plant. Yeah. Greenhouse gas emissions for the Toronto geographic area, not the city government, for the geographic area went down 15% over those five years. Mm-hmm. Buildings, tons of work in buildings, energy retrofits, making them more efficient, new buildings have uh, really green standards, green roofs, all those kinds of things. City buildings, other public buildings, private buildings, huge initiatives. Um at the time, there was a big push to improve mm-hmm. public transit. So between 2007 and 2010, the city had the biggest increase in bus service in the history of Toronto. Wow, okay. And then had the biggest increase in bus service in the history of Toronto again. Again. Um, and there was a huge upswing in ridership, which is really important because it means people are getting out of cars onto transit. Mm-hmm. I think what Toronto needs to do now is to be bold again. It's got a good plan, but it's not funded. Mm-hmm need to be bold you know could toronto go to electric buses we went to hybrid that was the best at the time right could they go to electric buses yes they could if los angeles can and los angeles is mm-hmm. surely There's toronto no reason, can yeah. There's no reason not to um and it's about time we actually built a transit network bits of the plan are being built the eglinton lrt for example yeah. finch is supposed to be coming maybe shepherd which was started in 2009 and then stopped because of the crisis kind of politics but all the rest of the money for the expansions is being tied up in the one-stop extension mm-hmm. in Scarborough. If you use that money to build the planned network within Scarborough, right. which would be th- three separate light rail tra- uh, transit lines, you'd make a huge difference to the lives of people in mm-hmm. Scarborough. You'd make the city greener and less polluted, and you'd dramatically lower greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a place that Toronto could show some leadership. The money's there. And I feel like the one, the Scarborough line's the one that's kind of having the most difficulties at well, the moment with getting approved, no? Yeah, well, it's, it's having difficulties because for reasons that are incomprehensible, to be perfectly honest, right. uh, people in positions of authority who know better, mm-hmm. not should know better, they do know better, 
are pushing having a, a one-stop subway that's going to cost $5 billion right. when they could have, you know, I think something like 37 LRT stops mm-hmm. that would serve University of Toronto, Scarborough, Centennial College, all of uh, Southeast Scarborough, all of Northeast Scarborough, and the middle, mm-hmm. um, uh, and serve people much, much better. And, and the reason that matters from a climate change perspective is if you want people to get out of cars onto transit, you have to offer them a network. Right, of right? course. They have to be able to get all over the place, not just one place. Mm-hmm. You might want to come to work. You know, you got to go across, let's say, from Kennedy across the Eglinton LRT. You're working at Mount Pleasant and Eglinton. Mm-hmm. And then in the evening, you want to come down for a show. you got to be able to do all that right. stuff. Otherwise, you're going to drive. Of course. So you have to have a transit network. The money's there. It's been funded mm-hmm. since 2007. The plans are there. The engineering was done between 2007 and 2010. All it takes is the political will to actually build it. Yeah. Instead of saying, "Oh, we're building a subway." So what? Yeah. So what is holding up? Because I, I I live at Young and Eglinton, and there's been a, a gaping hole outside my condominium now for two years. It will hold on and, for another two. Yeah. Oh, like at least I would say. Um, so what is is there a holdup or is it just? I, obviously, I mean these things take time, but no, that one's there, coming. That's fine. Yes. Yeah, that one's coming along. Um, I, I mean, I, and I believe some of it was was cut though from what was originally. It's shorter positioned. than it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's supposed to go from Kennedy Subway to the airport. To the airport, right? Yeah, which is. That was the original plan and the yeah. original funding commitment from the province, but um, it's uh, only going as far as Black Creek. Mm-hmm. But for the purposes of where you live and for purposes of Scarborough, it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's going as, as far as it is. And I think what will happen is when that opens, people will say, oh, that's what an LRT is. Right. It's a beautiful, modern, European-style tram mm-hmm. that runs really quickly in its own right-of-way uh, right down the middle of the street. In the case of this one, a good part's tunnel because the street's too narrow. But in the suburban part in Scarborough, it's going to run down the middle of the street. And people will see it and say, oh, I want more of this. Right. It really works. Let's mm-hmm. have some more. Well, and I think this is something that you've been proposing for decades. Yeah, well... <laughs> if you compare Toronto's transit line to London or New York City, I mean, you can get anywhere in London on a, on a train. Yes. You know? And London's much bigger, too, you know? the It's bigger, but it's more compact urban yes. form. Right? Yeah. So it's got four times the amount of people, but mm-hmm. in less space. And that means you can afford to have better okay. rail-based so transit. But, um, I, I mean... You know, I'm really lucky. I was uh, in elected office uh, for 16 years, and I was uh, working very closely with local governments as a lawyer before that. So I've been involved in these issues since the late 80s, so nearly 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I've watched successive provincial governments promise to build networks of subways. They never came. Um, I've been on the board of Go Transit, on the board of the Greater Toronto Services Board, which was responsible for overseeing... Uh, transit and uh, uh, planning in the uh, 905 416 mm-hmm. area. I've been on the TTC board. I've been the mayor. I've I've been briefed by the smartest transit minds uh, that we have in this country, probably in the world. And it is really clear what you need to do. First thing is you have to have a network. Second thing is that you have to use the right technologies for the densities that exist. And now and will for the next 50 to 75 years, Mm -hmm. which means in some places you put a line down the middle of a street because it's not dense enough to have Mm -hmm. a subway. In other places you have a subway if it's really dense. 
And um, the, the third thing I've unfortunately seen is we have all the plans in the world in Toronto. We don't build it because we're very, very frugal. Mm-hmm. So we need to find cost-effective ways to do this. Okay. And um, so if you take the basic principles, you want a network. It should be electric rail-based because it's permanent. Um, should be uh, in accordance with Toronto's other plans, like the official plan, which directs where growth goes, and it has certain corridors for higher-order transit. Um, you come to a pretty simple conclusion. Here's where the routes have to be. Shepherd Finch, Eglinton, North mm-hmm. South on Don Mills and, and Jane and uh, Scarborough is a bit more complicated, um, sort of up Kingston Road. There's really no other place to put the routes. And for most of those routes, the right technology is running rail at grade in the middle of a street because it will never be affordable um, in anybody's lifetimes, not my grandchildren's grandchildren's. Mm-hmm. T- to tunnel because the the city simply isn't dense enough. It's not London. It's not New York. Mm-hmm. It's Toronto. And in the places that are spread out, there's you just it's uh, an incredible waste of money to spend all the money on a subway when you could build a network and you need that network. Mm-hmm. Once you have one, the city will go gangbusters. And that's the gift of London. It's the gift of New York. It's the gift of Berlin. It's the gift of Sydney, Paris. Yeah, Sydney. They got yeah. networks. Yeah. Different technologies within yeah. it. Right, in London you got trams, subways, buses. Yeah, you've got the the above rail and. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, you got the above rail. Some underground, some above ground. Yeah. Same solution in Toronto. Some above ground, some underground. You know, some buses. You just need that network, and once you have that, things fly. Mm-hmm. So how will I mean just for for a consumer base? How how is MetroLink going to be connected with TTC? Uh, well, I I personally I I'm. Not particularly enamored of the idea of Metrolinx. Okay. You know, Toronto Transit Commission has an incredible history in this city, and it is, from a cost perspective, the mm-hmm. best run transit system year after year after year, uh, certainly in North America, probably in the world, uh, okay. outside of Hong Kong. Okay. Hong Kong's highly efficient because it's so dense, right? Right. And the, the, the companies that own the subway lines there get to do develop. Mm-hmm. So it has a different financial model. Um, so, you know, I'm very supportive of the TTC. I think we should build that institution. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Metrolinx is a bit of, bit of a funny amalgam because it runs Go, right. but it's responsible for overseeing development of regional plans for right. transit, but it doesn't run really local transit. Mm-hmm. And there's a tension between the needs of a region and the needs of local. And if you don't have local right in Toronto, the region's not going to work, right? right? You've got to be able to get around within the city. So I'm kind of, you know, I, I support the TTC's role in these conversations. It comes from a deep base of historical knowledge. And, and you know, when they built Transit City, which is the name of the plan, that's still the heart of Toronto's plan, but it was, in my time as mayor, developed by the TTC under the leadership of Adam Giambroni. What they did was they said, where does the city want rapid transit from the official plan? And where do our ridership studies show that the biggest demand is now and into the future? Mm-hmm. That's how they came up with the lines. Yeah. And that's the right way to do it. And, and I think that richness of experience and knowledge and technical ability should lead the conversation. Sure, there's a regional discussion. Absolutely, these things should connect regionally. But the, at the heart of it, most riders in uh, southwestern Ontario, south-central Ontario, ride the TTC. Mm-hmm. They don't ride anything else. Nine out of ten, give or take, ride the TTC. And one out of ten rides Go, Hamilton, everything else put together. Okay. So you got to get the TTC right. 
And if you don't get that right, the whole region's not going to work. Okay, so let me ask you another question then about the TTC. And I'll use the specific example because it's where I grew up, um, at Young and Eglinton. Um, they're expecting with the amount... You haven't moved very far. No. No, I've been... Uh, I've, I've actually... It's funny because I've, I've grown up there and I still live there. Uh, moved a couple, couple streets down. Um, I, I mean, I love it up there. But to be honest, it, uh, it doesn't resemble... The neighborhood I, I grew up in. No, anymore. it's been a lot of change. Uh, a lot, a lot of change. Mostly for the positive, but there is a lot of development going on there at the moment. And um, I mean, you you obviously be more of an expert than I am on it. Sometimes it seems like it's almost an overdevelopment. Uh, and I've heard statistics like they're expecting up, upwards of an additional fifty thousand people in that neighborhood in the next ten years. So how does the infrastructure? I mean, not. I mean, I don't even know like you're already considering the sewage lines and stuff, but take the TTC. If you try and get on the TTC at Young and Eglinton at eight o'clock in the morning, it's, it's hard to fit in that sardine can. You so add the, another 50,000 people. It's not just Young and Eglinton. Of course you? not. I'm just using that as an example. No, no, no it's a good yeah. example, but I'm yeah. just in answer to it, the, the um, Young Lines Act capacity. Yeah. So uh, under my time as mayor, there was some initiative taken to address that. Mm-hmm. The biggest, from a cost perspective, is extending the university line to York University and Boulogne, mm-hmm. the beyond. What does that have to do with the Young Line? What it does is allow some capacity to be transferred from the Young Line to the University Line. University Line is underutilized. Okay. Young Line's at capacity. And what it means is, why is that the case? Some buses from uh, the West... Okay. Today come to Finch. Mm-hmm. They don't go to Downsview because it's physically difficult to get to Downsview, okay. right? So they go to Finch. Lots of people go to Finch. Um, there are bus routes f- that arguably could go to uh, the bus station that's being built just north of York University that now go to Finch. So you can actually offload a fair number of uh, rush hour trips. Mm-hmm to the university line from the young line. That's the first thing that's being done. Second thing that was being done was to buy the new subway cars. Right. They hold more people because they're one car. One car, yeah. Uh, there's certain costs, risks to that. Like if you know you break down in the middle of the train, you have to take the whole train out instead right. of the car. But the capacity is much higher. Okay. That's important. Third thing that's happening is they're redoing the signaling because of the new subway cars. Okay. The new subway cars have the ability electronically to travel much closer together okay. safely. Yeah. The, and they're in the middle. It was supposed to be done by now, but it's been slowed down. I think it's going to be done by 2019. Okay. Um, it shows how long these things are take, right. taking, right? Right, yeah. This, this was something that we funded in 2007, I think. Well, I, yeah. I, so, and I remember the LRT, the initial... Oh, yeah, that was 2007 as well. Yeah, yeah. The, well... The LRT construction didn't start. The engineering started yeah. in 2007. But the the um, they're redoing all of the signaling with modern signals, which are compatible with the new trains, which will allow the trains to run much closer mm-hmm. together and still be safe. That one measure will double the capacity. Yeah. So then you add on that you've got trains that take more people and some rides in rush hour shifting from Young to University. Uh, it'll help. Mm-hmm. Um, fundamental problem is we need more transit there's a huge demand mm-hmm. for it but that that will help a fair bit I'm not saying you'll get a seat at Eglinton right yeah. but um, it will once that's all in 
um, you'll at least be able to get on a train. Breathing room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So the, the the potential for more trains too is 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 feasible. In the, well, it's, it's yeah. with the current trains and the um, uh, signal technology they're putting in. Figures I was given was you could have twice as many trains wow. run per hour. And they're thinking that's, that's like building another whole other subway, right? Of course, yeah. The other thing to remember is Toronto isn't a city that is a rush hour only city. Right. Like the. No, I've I've come home at 10, 10 o'clock at night, and the subway there's no seats. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's yeah. <laughs> and it is half the ridership in the TTC is uh, off peak and half right. it, and the peak's pretty broadly defined. I think it's about mm-hmm. three hours in the morning, three in the afternoon. So, it and that's pretty unique. Mm-hmm. And that's a good sign. It's a sign that people want to take it. Right. You got to make sure they can and it's comfortable right. and they're happy and it's a good experience. Otherwise, they'll do something else. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me go back. You had mentioned also one of the um, resources we have because is is waste management. Yep. And I'm not too sure, but maybe with a lot of the new, I mean, where there's a push now to to condominiums over homes. Um, maybe with the new buildings, it's a little different. I live in an older building. And the recycling options are pretty minimal yep. in our building. Then there's no there's no green bin system. It's a really it's, serious problem. Yeah. So Toronto it's, is very good at you don't want compost to go to landfills. Right. Because it turns into methane, mm-hmm. terribly polluting. You want compost to go to a place that you can compost it. Right. And in the perfect world, uh, there would be a really big composter run by the city that uh, use the methane to generate electricity. It's sort of mm-hmm. like a green electricity because you're capping the methane from going out of the atmosphere. It's really positive from a climate. It makes you some money. It's all sorts of, and creates jobs. It's, it's good all the way around. Uh, the challenge has been, in apartment buildings, older mm-hmm. ones, it's been really difficult to create that process. Mm-hmm. Except by, you know, separating the garbage after it's thrown out, which yeah. is very expensive and difficult. So the city tried all sorts of things while I was in office, lots of different pilot projects. I think people can be proud that we were innovative and, and we're trying different ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, partnered with Air Miles. Okay. Uh, people in a building would get Air Miles if okay. the building converted. Yeah, yeah. And so incentives. All, all yeah. sorts of things. Did all sorts of things. Yeah. Nothing worked. Okay. On uh, the other night, I was at Toronto Environmental Alliance's 30th anniversary. Yeah came to give a few remarks and ask people to donate and uh, when you speak and I was given a seat beside these three men from Scarborough okay who were part of a condominium building mm-hmm. that has completely changed this it's the most successful really? initiative I've seen they're recycling or diverting 80% of their waste from landfill really and what they did was say to people you can't put your garbage down the chute anymore okay you, you can have put, to bring it down. You can put recycling down the chute. Okay. In these clear plastic bags, so we'll know if it's not recycling. Right. Because it's in a clear bag. Yeah. You have to bring your garbage down, and we ask you to separate your compost and bring it down as well. Okay. And it's and they've done things like you go down their garbage room is incredibly organized. They have a place over here mm-hmm. where you can just put stuff you're not using, and other people can take it. Okay. Uh, like an exchange. Right. And you know it's. Kind of how we, when I was a kid in the 60s in England, in a small village, and that's how things worked there. If your thing was broken, the rag and bone man came around and, you know, he gave you a few pennies for it, and then right. he'd fix it and sell it to somebody else for a shilling or something. Yep. 
Um, and they've created a whole library downstairs out of books that people wanted to get rid okay. of. Yeah. A library with chairs and things. And uh, it's driven by the building superintendent. He's a fascinating so, guy. Okay. And the condominium board's right behind him. Um, and it's fantastic. So there's, there's an example of how one individual made a huge difference. Goes back to your first so, question, right? Yes. So this guy decided that it just couldn't be right that they were, you know, throwing out all this garbage mm-hmm. that wasn't necessary because it could be reused, recycled, mm-hmm. or composted. Oh, and by the way, they're saving fifteen thousand dollars a month. They were spending yeah. twenty thousand a month on gar- so garbage hauling. Now they're spending five as well. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to the owners. It's condo. Of course. Yeah. So, um, and if you think about that. Um, you know, the impact on the reserve fund would be enormous. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're really so. Uh, this is this was one person who was passionate about a cause, right. driving it, and this is a- having a good idea, being smart enough to listen to people, and I think that kind of program can catch on like wildfire. Mm-hmm. Apparently, when the city comes in and tries to do it, it doesn't work. Right. In this case, the Toronto Environmental Alliance has a waste program, and they've you know they found out about these people, and they're trying to spread the idea. But you know, going to the bigger picture, it does show people you know, if they have a really good they idea. Have an interest. Like auto sharing was mm-hmm. invented in Toronto. Yeah. Right? Kevin. Um, gosh. Sorry, it's embarrassing. I don't know his second name, the tip of my tongue. But um, he uh, created auto share years ago, and everybody thought it was some kind of weird socialistic kind of thing. How do right. we share a car? Yeah. Now it's routine of everywhere. Course. Yeah. You know, Zipcar made it a co- commercial venture, but auto yeah. share really started it. And so, you know, people get uh, an idea and it's clear and they do it. And, you know, it doesn't have to be changing the entire city. It can be changing your building, your house, your street, Mm -hmm. the way you commute to work. I mean, if you care about greenhouse gases, uh, have one more vegetarian meal a week. Make a big difference. Or a day. I'm on uh, a 30-day period right now because somebody challenged me. They said, you're always talking about greenhouse gases. You eat meat. So I'm I'm going from... Uh, November to my birthday on Boxing Day. Okay. Meatless, and it's great. Yeah. Um, well, for one, you probably feel much better, too. I, I feel way better. <laughs> yeah. As you can tell, I can't yeah. shut up, right? Yeah. I'm it's... so full of energy. Yeah. But that's something you can do. One day a week, you can, if you drive now, take transit. Take if you take transit, yeah. take a bike. And so, you know, baby walk. steps almost. Yeah, know? well, just something. All yeah. you have to do is something. Yeah. And the other thing people can do that really matters is use their voice. Uh, WWF, we have over a thousand businesses working with us, and if you speak to them and say, "Why are you working with an environmental organization?" They'll say, "We can't hire uh, new graduates unless we're living environmental values." Mm-hmm. And I say to them, "How do you know that?" Because the first question they ask us in job interviews is about our environmental values. Mm-hmm. So the voice of somebody who's a job applicant right. is making a profound yeah. difference. So if people do one thing. Mm-hmm. One thing, pick something, a day vegetarian, you know, a day walking, a day on transit if you drive, whatever it is, and use your voice. Say, you know, I want to see this change. Mm-hmm. That's how change happens. And, you know, those things are things anybody can do. It doesn't, doesn't cost you anything, makes your life better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and you'll feel good because you'll know you're making change. Fantastic. That's great. Um... And that, that answers that fully answers my question too. Yes, it took me forty five so minutes to answer your that, question, you know but I did get around to that's it. That's fantastic. They, you know, it makes a great interview, right? So, <laughs> um, and I, well, like I mentioned, actually, I'm going to go back to uh, 
actually a memory, a personal memory I have of you when I was in high school, when you were mayor. And uh, because this, a lot of this podcast, we do talk to musicians yep. and, and uh, artists, and we talk a lot about culture. Uh, one memory I had was I went to a uh, Martin Short one-man show. Yep. And uh, he did a segment as his Jiminy Glick character. Yep. yep. And he brought, for his interview, he brought one David Miller. He did indeed. Up on stage. How was, what was that experience like? Is that, is that, I, I mean, obviously public speaking's nothing nerve wracking to you, but that's almost a performance. Well, it was a performance. He danced with me. Yeah. <laughs> I was wearing uh, leather shoes um, that were uh, burgundy, burgundy yeah. leather shoes and a gray suit. Um, I can remember it like it was yesterday. There's a photo of him dancing with me and none of our feet are on the ground. So, uh, <laughs> And he, he, like, he takes over. He's right. a force of personality. Yeah. And when you're married, you're not kind of used to that. You're sort of, right. you know, um, you take <laughs> over rooms, right? right? That's just the nature of the role, not because of you as a mm-hmm. person. It's just the nature of the role. So it, it kind of, um, in rugby terms, we call it wrong-footed. Okay. Right? You're wrong for, like, yeah. if you make a really great cut and your opponent can't yeah. you, uh, lean... You're wrong footing somebody. You kind of wrong footed me. Okay. Uh, and it doesn't, you know, I up on stage being made fun of in front of, you know, 400 people. Right. It's not my first choice. Right. But, you know, on the other hand, I have a sense of humor and I'm not a comedian. Good, right. So it's kind of fun for me to be the straight man or something like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it was really fun. I was. You Did know, he find he took you out of your element a little bit? Or? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was discombobulated. Did, yeah. As anyone would be. <laughs> but since I, uh, I met Eric Idle around that time Okay, as well. yeah. And uh, he was so funny. The presser there where it's uh, the opening of Spamalot, I think. Right, yeah. I'm a huge Monty Python fan. Yeah. I can recite them. I mean, yeah. You know, hello, Mrs. Premise. <laughs> Ooh, hello, Mrs. Conclusion. Busy day. Busy. Anyway, um, uh, you know, I could go my on favorite, on. My favorite, I think it's from the very first one. My favorite was the one where... Someone writes the funniest joke ever written, and it's so funny that you die when you hear it. Yes. Yeah. And so then they translate it into German, piece by piece, and read it out in war. And <laughs> yeah. They actually have quite a few that are funny about jokes. There's one where they, um, um, the comedians are saying things like 46, mm-hmm. and everybody breaks into laughter because it's all comedians. They've heard it all before. Yeah, right. Right? And then one of them goes, you know, 31, and nobody laughs. They say, well... What happened? Yeah. It's, it's all in the delivery. Yeah. Um, My parents used to do the Ministry of Funny Walks at home all the time. I have the Mayor of Silly Walks. Somebody, oh, did, okay. somebody really? did a drawing, a uh, 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 photograph yeah. of Cleese and stuck my head on it. <laughs> I've so you're a that. fan of that. So I was a fan of, of that. So I got to see Eric yeah. Idle when he came here for Spamalot and uh, we're sort of uh, fooling around for the media afterwards. And I did something really goofy. I can't remember what I did. Like I kissed him or something. And uh, he said to the cameras, don't take that photo. And then he turned to me and said, let me worry about the comedy and you worry about the politics. You'll regret it tomorrow if <laughs> yeah. not. Yeah. So that was kind of, that was sort yeah. of, he meant it nicely. He wasn't big. Right. Uh, um, so that was kind of funny. And a few times I've been invited by Second City and some other monkey toast and some other uh, improv people okay. to be the straight men. Okay. Uh, so but, how do you feel about those kind of opportunities? Don't, that's great. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Glick made me nervous because if you look at 
I mean, it's Martin Short in this giant costume, course, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm at it was at the Winter Garden, right? I'm trying. To, I was trying to remember that too yesterday when I was thinking about it. It was yeah. I thought it was either at Princess of Wales or Elgin. It was Elgin or Winter yeah. Garden. One of those, and you know, it's a big theater with a lot of people yeah. in it, and I don't know what the hell he's going to do. Right, of course. So that's Partly what I was going to ask. Did, he did doesn't you have know any what, idea beforehand what was going to happen? No, no, and he didn't have... Uh, I knew he might call me up, that's all. Right. He didn't have any idea what he's going to do. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that... In that context, that was really tricky, but right. it did lay the groundwork for these other people to invite me, and it was really fun because the way the improv works, like Monkey Toast, Yeah. the host uh, was uh, David Shore, interviews mm-hmm. you, and then they do improv off your answers. Okay. So they're actually making fun of you. Right. But you don't have to quite react as instantly with, as, as, you know. As you would with Martin Short. Yeah. <laughs> but that was, that. so for me, you know, I think about this in the big picture. You know, I'm David Miller. I'm from Triplo, England, a village yeah. of about 100 people. You know, I came to Canada as an immigrant, only child of a single mom when I was eight turning nine. And I'm on stage with one of the most, famous and funny comedians yeah. in the recent history of North America, I'm pretty lucky. You're so, pretty lucky, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you so you spent your, because I know you're, and that's actually one, one thing I wanted to bring up too, because uh, this weekend's a pretty big weekend. Oh, yeah. Yes, as uh, I've been a Toronto FC season's ticket holder since the first season. Uh, so we got, I'm, I'm like, I'm extremely excited but extremely nervous for tomorrow. Um, but is, so did your... I, I was curious if your passion for soccer came sparked from Toronto FC or or did you have a, a liking for for the sport? Oh no, it's from growing up in England. And, it's lifelong. I, yeah. I I can't remember existing without a soccer ball at my feet. Really? Right? Okay. From the so beginning you played when as I well. Oh yeah, I played. Yeah, okay. I played right into university. Um, played first year university rugby and soccer. Okay. And the rugby team really. Uh, talked me up. Okay. The, the soccer team. It was like, well, we'll see you at tryouts next year. Very, so very different sports. <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, I really had to pick if I wanted right. to be excellent. So I, I stuck with rugby. I was relatively better, um, and I loved it. I had a wonderful rugby career. I played till I was thirty six at a pretty good level. Oh, wow. uh, here in Ontario, with with and against people who played for Canada, I wasn't okay. quite as good as them. Yeah. They were the stars, but. That's the level I was at. Um, so soccer, I only played through being 19 or 20, but I, I loved it. It was my game. Um, I was a striker. Okay. Uh, I had a really superb you got shot. You good height, so... I, I can, can't jump. No? So I had some strengths and, and not others. That's right. why I was struggling. I, I had a superb shot. It's interesting how that you're good qualities that come to you first right of course it's, I had a superb it's, shot I was super fast and could make really yeah. good runs and get open um, and I could really pass yeah but I couldn't beat a man with a dribble right um, I did once in high school and okay. I remembered that the only time I beat a man with a dribble happened to be right beside the coach Okay. It was one of those so weird then things. He thought he'd, put he'd, you in that position. he'd been teaching us a step over and yeah. I don't know what came in my head I did a step over right in front of him anyway um, I couldn't jump yeah um and uh, I had no left foot. My right oh, foot. Oh, I had no left foot either. That's my true. right foot might have been pro caliber. Like I could yeah. hammer the ball. My left foot, I could dink off a little past you, right. but that was it. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you know, you don't get that far in soccer if you're completely one footed. It's it's funny too because there's someone else I met recently who played at my my dad. My dad played semi professional, 
Well, you're built uh, like a soccer player. I'm totally a soccer built, yeah. I've been playing since I was about four. Yeah, so you and get it, right? Yeah. Uh, I, unfortunately, I I made a... One of the, I think the biggest mistake in my life was I gave it up going into high school. Uh, I think just because I played it too much and... Oh, uh, I know it was the worst. Decision oh, no, I ever that's made that's the, such a great time to play because you it's really the best grow time. That's when your you ability. Develop. Yep. And so when I did, I went back at the end of grade twelve, and you lose that that touch yep. that made you that much better than everyone else. Uh, and there's a certain touch that you never lose. Uh, but at that point, I became I was always a late bloomer. I was a I was five feet going into grade ten, <laughs> and. Um, so in university is when I really actually became a decent, and then I found out I was a good runner. So then at that point, same thing. I used my speed. I was like, put me on the wing, send me on a run, and I'll get, I'll beat, I'll beat the defender every time. So. Well, that's not a bad transition. Not, getting right. the gap you had. For the gap. Three I had years, the worst right? gap you could have, to yeah. be honest. In yeah, that's career. that's when you. I know. I think I broke my dad's heart too, but. Uh, yeah, he. But it's, uh, it stays a game for life. It doesn't matter. Oh, and I still know. love the sport. You know, I mean. I could go down this soccer rabbit hole for hours. But. Well, I just I think we're blessed to have TFC here. As, I think so. You know, too. as everybody knows, I was very involved in uh, helping make the stadium. In the happen, stadium, yes, yeah. Which wasn't going to happen until I stepped in because the federal government was trying to do it, and they don't understand the city, so they did right. things like say, "Okay, we're going to do it at U of T," and they spoke to the president of U of T. They didn't understand U of T is a federation. Yeah. And the president can't commit you to this. You have to get Trinity College mm-hmm. and all the colleges around. And they all voted and said, no, we don't want a professional facility yeah. in our backyard. And they had a veto. Uh, but eventually, you know, they phoned the city and said, we're desperate. You know, can you help us? And I, I said, sure. Um, we wanted an exhibition place because from a city building perspective mm-hmm. and from a transportation sp- perspective, that's where it should be. And just logistic, like the, the amount of space they have there. Yeah, know, like. space and go train and, yeah. and two streetcars and two rapid bus routes and you're right by Liberty Village, which mm-hmm. needed, um, it had a lunch crowd, but it didn't have an evening yeah. crowd. Yeah. And it's it's made it uh, rejuvenate. Yeah. All those reasons, uh, I said, you know, if you guys can come up publicly and say we want it to be an exhibition place, uh, I uh, I think I can get it through council, and you know, so that that's history. But I I think TFC and even since then the, the the renovations they've done it have been fantastic. Oh, yeah, the um, it feels just, like a European soccer experience now. Well, certainly when it's yeah. loud and full, yes. I I love it. And this well, the last two years it's been rocking again. The first yeah. three or so were oh, great. First. And then it stumbled, and then it got oh, really awful. Twenty twelve. Let's be honest. There were some really tough years. But there were always moments, like in yeah. the worst year when we were zero and nine, and Danny Cooverman said we were the worst team in the world. Yeah. We still had L.A. with David Beckham in the Sky Dome, fifty thousand people yep. for soccer in Toronto, and then well, we went back to L.A. and beat them. The, yeah, Champions yes, League. We made the Champions League. Yeah. Because we went back and beat L.A. L.A. Yeah. In L.A., we tied them here. Uh, we were winning two one, and some idiot yep. threw a beer at Beckham. At Beckham. And then he kicked in the ensuing corner because yeah. he was so mad. So yeah. Uh, which and as an athlete, that's you don't. Yeah, you don't. No. Feel, I know fans don't understand. You don't feel an athlete. No. Look at look at Josie Altador. Exactly. When he's away from home. You know what I mean? I mean, how fantastic was that when someone threw a beer at him and Javinko went over and took a sip out of it? I, it's brilliant. It's like, yeah. It's it's, it's so. Yeah. That's legend. And what's beautiful about being a supporter of a team like this is there are those legendary moments like Benoit Sheru last yeah, year. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I think that's one thing that makes Toronto FC such a good team now is they've got a deep bench as well. Oh, yeah. Look at the options we have. Um, you know, Sheru hasn't gotten a minute in, in, the, in the playoffs. Well, and, at the moment, uh, Azorio, Haglin, and Cooper aren't starting. They were in the MLS mm-hmm. Cup last year, yep. right? 
So it's I mean, Vasquez is a huge update for. Oh, he's fantastic. So, yeah, beautiful player. But uh, for me, even in the lean years, there were moments. Mm-hmm. You know, D Rose miracle of course, in Montreal. Of course, uh, but but this is there was players. I mean, but again, I think we've learned now, and something MLSC needed to learn was you can't base a team around. A, you know a player too. it's not basketball you know it's you know because no. we tried with Torsten Frings yep. you know we tried with Gilberto we tried with uh, have you, the a couple when Aaron Vinter was over he brought a couple uh, Dutch players and you, you can't you need to build a squad I mean Martina, now we've Javier got Martinez Javier Martinez he scored uh, a fan Sewell, I remember still one of the best goals we've ever scored was Javier Martinez yeah but then he never scored another one no it was, it was, it was, it was the first game it was the first game and then yeah but uh, it, there, you know what? It's 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 kind of feels surreal. I remember the playoff run last year. It felt surreal after, you know, going from a team that really did struggle to. I mean, now, you mean it's debate. We yeah. we're debatably. The, I mean, I don't want to say so anything before you tomorrow. Ner- we're debatably the best team. Why are you nervous? Why are you nervous? Oh, I'm just nervous because, um, you know, I'm nervous. I'm not. I'm, I'm nervous because I want it so badly for them. You know. Um, I think we're a better team than Seattle, absolutely. So that, but that's but why you're nervous because we're good. We were better than Seattle right? last year. You know? So we we don't want to lose when we're good. It's right. a very different thing than when you're mm-hmm. bad. You're not nervous in a way, right? Right. It's yeah. just hope. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We. Uh, it's uh, ten to two. Okay. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is. It's. Um, it is. It is nervous just because you know you want it so badly at this point, and uh, but we are. We're a great. I, th- I think we're the best MLS team of all time, and I think we proved that this year. Well, we'll uh, prove it. We'll prove I think it tomorrow. We'll prove it tomorrow too. Yeah, that's yeah. the hope. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah. Let's as we wind this down. Um, there was actually something I, I I thought about when I was reading some of your bio, and that was when you were uh, for, for mayor, anyways, because it's one of the kind of the most yep. uh, history is the and the amount of committees, <laughs> the amount of committees you were a part of initiatives. I mean, I myself, an entrepreneur, I, I, I run a service business, um, our, our family business, um, outside of this, and I have a handful of side projects that I work on, and I, I could use a 40-hour day. <laughs> you know, how, how do you, how do you, do you ever get to, I guess it's a two-part question, do you ever get to sit back and kind of enjoy your successes? Uh, are you always kind of, I find as an entrepreneur too, sometimes I have a hard time to look, look at what I've built I'm kind of just worrying about what's next, what's next, what's next, and the second part is 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 time management. How are you? How do you find that you are able to designate enough time and energy to each of your uh, initiatives? So let, let me ask the second part first, because the yep. first part is sort of almost a wrap up, I think. Um, you know, you're lucky when you're in the office of mayor. I mean, I had 22 incredibly talented people working for me of in course, my office, yeah. and then another 40,000 working across the civil service. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of the point. So people help you and force of you course. to time manage. But the lesson I learned, um, and it's a life lesson, not just a mayor lesson, is you know to really focus. What are you really about? Mm-hmm. What are you really trying to do? And lots of politicians forget that. I actually wrote it down. Every single election I ran in, I had a little written statement. would start out 10 pages. I'd get it down to a page, maybe a page and a half, maybe just a couple of paragraphs. Why am I running in this election? What is it that I really want to accomplish? Mm-hmm. And why me? Why is it necessary for me to run and not somebody else who has right. similar values? And I was really focused 
on what I wanted to do um, and w- communicated that to people in the election very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, short version would be um, we're going to help Toronto uh, become a 21st century city where every single resident has a real chance to participate in the economic social life of the city and we're going to do that by building a city around great transit, great environmental values, great arts and cultural values, uh, and a successful economy that's inclusive, that everybody mm-hmm. gets a little bit from, not just some people, everybody. Um, and um, I really kept a focus on that. So things weren't that weren't part of that, I just let go. Mm-hmm. So I completely focused on what do I need to do to make this happen. And around the transit, there's building blocks. You can't do it if you don't have money. You can't do it if you don't have a plan. You can't do it if you don't, as mayor, control the votes on the TTC. I couldn't control all the votes everywhere. There's mm-hmm. 44 members of council and one mayor. So you got to pick where your priorities are. So I made sure that the people who were appointed to the TTC were people who really shared the same vision I did, and I could led by Adam Giambroni, mm-hmm. and I could count on them to deliver great public transit. That's how we got... The all-new subway cars, the all-new street cars, uh, the biggest uh, bus expansion in the history of Toronto twice. Um, that's how we developed Transit City. That's how we got literally $20 billion in commitments from the province for Transit City, billions more from Ottawa, by just focusing on that relentlessly. Okay. The other thing I learned was surround yourself with people who have positive energy. It's all sorts of people who have negative energy. Yeah. You, yeah, well, you would as an entrepreneur. I kept, yeah. You know, you don't, they're a waste of your time. Let them go be negative with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I found people, and it's true at WWF as well, people within the organization, people with our partners, people in business, people in government who want to make something happen, and you work with them. And the power of your energy and all of that is fantastic. It just makes, so if you're focused mm-hmm. and maintain that focus, and the other stuff just let drop by the wayside or somebody else do it, and you surround yourself with people with positive energy, you're ninety five percent of the way there. It's it's you you just get carried along with the momentum. And to answer the first part, you know, I'm very lucky. My position as mayor, your position is to help the people of your city build the kind of uh, city that they want to live in in the future. Mm-hmm. So I get to see things I had a small hand in or a large hand in right. every day. Yeah. I also get people stopping me every day and saying very nice things, which is quite gratifying. And they always say we. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, they'll say things like, we miss you, not I. We. Yeah. We. I can remember the eyes. It's about three. Like it's, and, and you know, I'll see uh, development that I help steer that, that has really high environmental values. Or I'll see all the new streetcars and buses and things we bought. Or I'll see, you know... Um, a little parquette that's a memorial to somebody who died who so really contributed to the city. you're reaping those benefits kind of now. All the time, but, yeah. Yeah. So what about when you were in office? Did you ever, I mean, for one, you can you can say, look, a, a majority of the people in this city chose me to represent them. But are you ever getting to enjoy, kind of enjoy that in the moment? Or is it kind of always... Uh, I loved every second of it. Mm-hmm. Even the hard parts, because yeah. I would say to myself, just it's a really good thing. There's not some bozo, right. you know, that I couldn't support in this really mm-hmm. difficult time. Um, but uh, you are going full speed. You yeah. Know, the same way you said you'd like to have 40 hours a day. Yeah. Felt like That's I was it. working 40 hours a day. Well, right, it wasn't work. 
serving. Right. Um, and I'd, you know, I got up at five thirty, went for ten. This is a typical day for me. Five thirty, go for a ten kilometer run. I'd be out of the house at ten thirty. Ten kilometer run, showered, out of the door by seven, and I'd get home at eleven at night. Yeah. Uh, that's Monday through and that, and that's Saturday. It. I mean, you, you and I obviously were people who enjoy exercise and know the importance of exercise, and that's that's a chunk out of your day as well. You know? Well, you got to you got you have to. I mean, I mean, you got to do no. the exercise, and then I was go 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 go. And yeah. if you don't do the exercise, you don't eat right. You don't, you don't <laughs> eat right. You know, you. I mean, I'm, you're always around wine when when you're right. going to functions and things. Mm-hmm. So you know, you can live a really unhealthy lifestyle. I tried to focus on that, but even though I was going that relentlessly, I would take time to celebrate the accomplishments. You know, when That's the great. when the premier announced full funding for Transit City on June fifteenth, two thousand and seven, I celebrated. When we launched Transit City in March two thousand and seven, mm-hmm. I celebrated. When we got the streetcar contract through council, I celebrated. Even though Bombardier screwed that up, now it was a <laughs> huge victory, and their bid was half a billion dollars less than the second place bidder. Um, you know, when Paul Martin signed uh, an agreement with the Association of Municipalities of Ontario and with Toronto about sharing the gas tax mm-hmm. um, and publicly thanked me for my role, you know, it's not often in your life you get publicly thanked by a prime minister. Yeah. We celebrated. And I, I, I think that's important. You know, mm-hmm. even when you're in an entrepreneurial context, you, you've got to take a moment to savor mm-hmm. because you're going to be going for week after week flat out of course yeah and when you have a good accomplishment a good achievement i i, I think you need that uh, otherwise you kind of forget why well, you're doing it's it it's motivation you know you need it's motivation yeah. but also why are you doing it of right? course and I, I would always go mm-hmm. back to my statement like what am i trying to accomplish why did i run here it is mm-hmm. and when there were things in that list that got ticked off you should celebrate of course um you know doesn't mean you have to stay out till four in the morning celebrating, <laughs> like I'm sure many people will be tomorrow, tomorrow when Toronto yeah. FC wins the yeah, MLS Cup so. for the first time. But um, you you got to take a moment to savor those accomplishments and get some joy from it. I think that's a great kind of note to to wrap it up on. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much, and we'll see you in Liberty Village tomorrow. We'll see you in Liberty happy Village. Happy holidays, happy happy birthday. <laughs> happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and happy birthday to me. Adamantium.